I want to give you an idea. Um, typically, I don't know if Brother Abraham would share um, about the work that's going on in India, but I want to give you an idea of the ministry that is under this man of God. 4,500 churches, 17 orphanages, 45 sewing schools for destitute women, a Bible college, 15 Bible training centers, six high schools for children from poor, remote villages. And as I was talking to Brother Abraham, he tells me about 200 to 250 new churches are starting every, every year. And it is an honor and it's a privilege to have um, Brother Abraham with us all the way from India. Why don't we give him a warm, restored church welcome. Brother Abraham, come on up. Hallelujah. That is for the good new church building. That's beautiful. Amen. I was hoping that I'll be able to speak from the sanctuary instead of put me in some small room somewhere. So, God answered my prayers. So here I am. And, uh, well, God's faithfulness is from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. And God does marvelous things for us in our life. And uh, such a joy and a privilege for me to come and be with Pastor John and his wife and the church over here. And uh, it's a blessing. Uh, for, thank you for having me again. Because many people, when I had, they had me once, they may not have me again. But this is one of those few churches which are very good to me. And, uh, and praise the Lord for that. And as you heard Pastor John saying briefly, the church, the ministry that uh, have begun uh, many, almost four decades ago, uh, continue to grow. And uh, I believe that it will keep on growing. Well, whether I'm there around or not doesn't make any difference. Uh, God will keep on growing what he has started. Amen? So I still remember, you know, recalling that as a young man when I was 21 years old, you know, called by God, thrown onto the streets, and he told me to preach the gospel. Well, I did not know anything much. I did not know what was ministry. I had no idea. Uh, but... Uh, he said, go and do it. You know, evangelize the nation of India. You know, I've never been to a Bible school in my life. I didn't know what was ministry at all about. And this is what God said. I wanted to go and evangelize the nation. And I said, okay, let's do it. Right? The only thing was I didn't have anything going for me. You know, as I said, no Bible training, no money and uh, nobody to help. So what do you do? Okay, you have to start somewhere. So that's what I did. I, I lived on the streets. I slept in front of the shops. And I walked 15, 20 miles every day. Went without four, food for about four or five days. That was my life. So I got nothing to lose, right? 
Okay? So let's do it. So I started street meetings. And uh, that's how it all began. So I will find a small area and I will put up four sticks and a little tarp that I had put it on to make it look like a platform. And uh, a couple of gas lanterns, maybe young people won't know, the older generation, you know, now you pump the thing and the mantle will glow. Yeah. So that's a pretty cheap deal. So, so that was my crusade. <laughs> you know? It almost seemed like, looking back, that God must have been looking from heaven down to this deal by the side of the street, and God must have said something like this. That's the most pathetic crusade I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> so then he said like, well, maybe he might need a hand. So God came down. How do I know? Because it was right on the streets where I saw blind eyes open. I saw lame walk. I saw cancers healed. I saw demons screaming and coming out of the people. And no extra cost, you know, just on the streets. And uh, people came and gave their hearts to the Lord and I baptized them. And uh, there they are. The church was started. That was then. So about 44 years later now, I'm standing before you. I still do the same. It's a little bit more organized, not the four poles and the streets anymore. <laughs> But we do higher auditoriums. We've got some sound system. We've got people who can sing. I had nobody at that time. And, uh, but the method is the same. I preach the gospel, call the people to repentance, and, and uh, promise them that miracles will take place here. And the Lord will heal the people here tonight. So, and God, maybe I put God on the spot, you know? I say, like, Jesus Christ is going to heal. So he might say, okay, might as well do something here because he's mentioning my name all the time, right? So every time he healed the sick, every time he made miracles and wonders, and people came and gave their lives to the Lord. And uh, so I always used to say, if something works, don't change it. If, if something is not working, well, find something else to work. So my type of ministry is working. You know, the Bible says God went with them, confirming his word with signs and wonders. And I believe that. I hang on to it. And I tell him, Lord, you said it. You better confirm it. And uh, God will say, okay, let's do it. So that's how it is. And God has been so gracious. And uh, they continue to grow. I'm telling my son, who is in the ministry with me, and uh, he studied in, in Regent University here. He's one of the very few who came back to India. Everybody who went to this country, they never came back. Because they said, we have made it to heaven. Why should we go back to hell? <laughs> so, but my son... Oh, chose to come back, so it was good. So he's working with me, and he has got some fancy ideas of America. I try to straighten him up sometimes, but <laughs> apart from that, he's okay. And uh, so we are, uh, so I tell him, 
You know, we are about 4,500 churches, and my goal is to establish 10,000 churches. That's my goal for my lifetime. So I'm just wanting to have that happen in the next five years if, if it works out. That'll be nice, you know? So then I say, after that, I'm planning to slow down. I don't believe in retirement because we don't retire, but we refire, you know? The Bible says they that, they that wait on the Lord will retire. No, it says they will renew their strength and they will rise up like an eagle. Amen? So I say, when that happens, then I'm planning to slow down. Uh, Pastor John was asking me how many times he'll be preaching every week. I said, minimum 10 times. So that's what my normal schedule of preaching engagement in various places. And uh, so I say to him, well, I, I'm going to slow down. That means I'll be preaching three times a week. The rest you can take. And if you've got enough messages, you can preach. That'll be fine. And uh, so we are continuously growing. And we have been having lots of trouble. Uh, recently in the last government was just been in power for the last four years. Uh, we have been having troubles and, and persecution for a long time. You know, right from the beginning of my ministry that I have been beaten up, I have been left in the bush unconscious. They thought that I was dead, but I don't die that easy. They have been trying, <laughs> you know. <laughs> they have been trying to kill me for the last 40 years. They must be tired of it, you know. And... Uh, so they have tried to drown me in the river when I was baptizing the people. You know, they pulled their guns, their knives, threatened to kill me. And, but I survived. Amen? So, but then these days, the, the persecution has intensified. It has become very, very hard to live. Uh, sad to say that for the first time ever, I lost two of my pastors. They became martyrs for Christ. One was shot point blank. The other one was stabbed to death. Now, they died not because they were sick. They died not because they were of old age. They died only because they were witnessing Christ. And, uh, you know, hundreds of pastors being killed in the last few years, hundreds of them. But when it comes to your own, it really hits you hard. You know, otherwise you'll say, you know, hundreds of pastors have been killed here and there, but, you know, thank goodness none of my pastors. But not anymore. You know, we lost two of them. And uh, many of them are frightened because they are the only one ministering in a hostile situation. And they're only small group of people as church. And, uh, but they're all there. Nobody has resigned. Nobody has stepped down from the ministry. Nobody is going anywhere, but they are there. Amen? Because I tell them we are supposed to be doing this, you know, either until we die or Jesus coming. There is no other choice for anyone. So we will continue to do our job, and we will ask the Lord to protect us a little bit more. Okay? So, and you know, like, uh, as I said, things are getting harder and harder. And that is on one side. And the other side, God is showing himself in an amazing way. Amen? And just uh, last winter, which is about seven, eight months ago, 
And uh, uh, we were having, uh, you know, one more, one more state has made a law against conversion. They call it an anti-conversion law. That means if you baptize somebody, they will put you in the jail for five years. So that's the law. So when the law was declared, uh, the, we have uh, an orphanage and several churches there. So they were sitting in the orphanage building and they were praying. They were asking the Lord's protection and asking the Lord to, to take care of them. And it was about nine o'clock in the night, pretty dark, and, and they were praying and suddenly the sky outside just lit up. It's like as bright as a noonday in a summer. So they start praying and they came running out to see what is going on. And as they came out, they saw the stars like shooting across, you know, like sometimes it's almost like the stars falling down, kind of. So that's how they saw. And as they were looking, they suddenly realized it was not the stars falling here and there, but it was the angels. And as they saw, they saw four angels just flying around, oh, hovering over the building. Amen? And not just a fraction of a second. Sometimes, you know, you see something and you don't really know what you saw. But this was for 15 long minutes. It was like heaven connecting with the earth. Angels came down to a group of people who were a little bit worried and frightened in their hearts and praying for God's hand. And God sent his angels to say, hey, I'm still here. I'm still on the throne. And don't worry, my angels are ready to come and take care of you. And they were flying. And when I went there, when I met the, my kids, I said to them, did you see the angels? Oh, what do you mean see the angels? We were dancing with the angels. And, and the angels were just smiling at us. Because it's not like up in the sky. It was just over the building. Amen? Just over the building. And you know the, and I'm just thinking, that's amazing. That's a good you know, assurance from heaven. Amen? You remember, you know, there's a one incident that is recorded in the Bible, in the Old Testament, where God wanted to punish the people, and he sent one angel. And he says, he came, and he killed 185,000 people just like that. Can you imagine that? And that Jesus was standing before Pilate, and Pilate was threatening him. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I could do to you? I could kill you if I want. So Jesus smiled and he said, you've got no idea. I said, all I need to do is open my mouth and ask my father, help. And he said, then he will send me 12 legions of angels. One legion is 6,000. So 12 multiplied by six is 72,000. 72,000 multiplied by 185,000, there'll be nobody left here. Amen? The angels will say, we don't have anybody to kill. They're all dead. And all these thousands of angels are waiting for somebody to kill. Right? That's heaven. Amen? And God sent the angels to and put some joy and peace and confidence 
in the hearts of our people. Amen? And our God is doing amazing, amazing miracles. On one side, the attack of the enemy, the, the powers of darkness, the government is against us, the prime minister is against us, the police is against us, the militant groups are against us, but on the other side, heaven is for us. Amen? And the Bible says, if God is for you, who can be against you? Amen? Hallelujah. So that's what keeps us going, my friends. And we'll keep on going. We will not stop. We know that God is on our side. Amen? In spite of all these things, I mostly travel alone. People ask me, do you take some bodyguards? I said, no. Why? Like, you mean three of us to be dead? If they kill me, I'm the only one who will die. But two bodyguards mean that guys will be dead too. So what's the point of that? Amen? And uh, so I go mostly alone. And I preach. And I believe this. You know, I'm only five foot four inches tall. So I always say like this, guys, I'm a little guy maybe, but you have to realize that there's a big guy standing behind me. And nobody plays with me. Nobody touch me. Amen? Unless he gives you the permission to do that. Amen? I'll tell you another story, right? I don't have any message to preach tonight, so my as well keep on some story. <laughs> so here is the story of a, a village pastor. And uh, he could not even explain things. That's how illiterate he was, okay? One of my pastors. So I put him on the stand and telling the story. And he said, he is having this little church in a village. And uh, in a small place that he rented and, and about 30 people or the members of the church worshiping God in that place. And they, they got only one music instrument which is the drums. Drums on both sides, okay? Hit on both sides, you've seen that? So that's all they have. And this drum made just a lousy noise, you know? <laughs> drives you nuts, but, but, but they have it because that's the only instrument that will give you some beats to sing. So the people are already upset with this church and they got more upset with these drums. So they came and told the guy, you can't play the drums. He said, no, I have to play the drums. Without the drums, we can't worship. So there's no way of stopping playing the drums. So anyway, they went back this went on and they got more and more annoyed and they came back one day, all the guys, they came and beat him up so badly, tore the drum, destroyed it, and they drove him out of the village, said, never come back again. So he went, he went to another village, found a small place, and there they continued on with their, with their church. So about after he left, maybe five, six days later, at about 10 o'clock in the night, farmers go to sleep early, so they're all lying in their bed, half asleep, and suddenly they heard the noise of the drums, but this time much louder than they have heard when the guy was playing the drums in the church. So they got up and they took all these sticks and knives. They said how dare he was. He has come back to the village and he's playing the drums in the night and we'll teach him a lesson. They came out and they could hear the drums the sound coming from the same building where he was having the worship. 
So they all rushed to the place, and as they came, the door was pretty well locked with a padlock hanging there, and they opened the door, and there was nobody there, and the drum beat stopped. So they sat there, and uh, they said, oh, it stopped. Where did the noise come from, and all those questions, and they went back, and the, the, the next night, exactly by 10 o'clock, the drum beat starts again. And they came back, same, sat there, nobody was there. So there's a drum beat without a drum. The drum beat without the pastor. So this went on for two, three days, and they came and sat there. By this time, the whole village is frightened. The women are all frightened because it's almost like some kind of an evil force, some kind of a thing here, the noise of the drum, but nobody's playing it. Noise of the drum, but there is no drums. So then they sat in front of the same building and they said, what are we going to do? And they said, the best thing is, let's bring the pastor back. At least there'll be somebody playing the drums. <laughs> so they went and looked for him. Finally, they found him. They say, we want you to come back to the village. He said, I'm not coming. I don't want you to keep on beating me whenever you feel like. No, I'm not coming. He said, no, no, we promise you we'll not beat you anymore. And then he said, I don't have any money to pay the rent anymore. He said, it's okay. You don't need to pay any rent. The place is free. Come and have your church. So he came back. They bought him a brand new drum also. Because they, were, they, be, they destroyed the one. So the church started. First Sunday, a family came in wanting to know this miracle worker, the one who can make the drums noise without the drum. So they all came. They sat there, the family. By the end of the service, they got saved. They gave their hearts to the Lord. Within three months, the whole village turned to Jesus Christ. And today, it has become a Christian village with hundreds and hundreds of people worshiping the Lord because God decided to play the drums. Hallelujah. Amen. So we continue to do the work, and God has been so gracious to us. And um, we've got lots of needs, as you know, and um, we need support for our pastors, like the ones who gave their life. You know, that's the kind of pastors I'm asking for support. They're not guys sitting somewhere doing nothing. They are laying down their life, literally, for the sake of the gospel leaving their wives, their children, gone. Wife has become a widow. The children have become fatherless because they will not back off. They will continue on with the call of God upon their lives. So we got hundreds of them, still not dead, but they need support. So I asked the people, give me $2 a day, make a change. Make a difference in the life of a family in India. What can $2 do to you? Nothing much in this country. You can't buy even a coffee. But that $2 can make a difference in the life of a pastor and family in India. We want $1 a day that can change the life of an orphan child that we look after in India. We need 425 bicycles. That's a mode of transportation for my pastors. It costs $120 to buy a bicycle. 
and they are praying so that they don't need to walk 15, 20 miles as I used to in the beginning so that they, their life can be different. Their standard of living can become a bit better. Amen? So your little giving can make a big change. I believe Pastor John will take an offering at the end of the service and uh, all your giving will be used for the purpose of helping our pastors in India. But you can make a, a decision to support on a regular basis a pastor or an orphan. Well, God will bless you and God will reward you. Amen? Well, we don't have anything much to give back to you for what you do for us. But one thing I can promise you that we will pray for you. So when I say we will pray for you, it is not a little bitsy prayer there because my wife leads 1,400 prayer groups of the ladies. When I say we'll pray for you, that's the number of people who'll pray. There'll be 10,000 women who'll be praying for you every day. Well, that's kind of being on a hit list, you know? <laughs> you cannot get out of that. And they will nag God so badly, he will do something for you, you know? Because God says, stop it. I've heard enough. Well, have you blessed them? Have you blessed them? Yes, yes, I will bless them. So that's our promise. And my people will pray for you and God will bless you and God will take care of you. So when you give, I want you to give like never before. Give for a cause, not for me. I'm not here to raise money for myself, you know. I'm not here to take, make some money for my wife and my children to take care of them buy them some clothes, and no. And that's not the reason I'm here. You know, I may be a lousy preacher to your standards, but I'm a pretty well sought speaker in India. So my people would like to hear me. I don't know what's wrong with them, but they do. So I speak in all kinds of conferences and all that. So they pay me, they give me a good offering as well. So I don't need to travel 16 hours by flight to get here. But I'm here to talk about men and women who have given their life for Christ. I'm talking about orphan children that we should take care of. I'm talking about destitute women we should protect. And I'm asking you to help me because I don't, we don't have the opportunities, we don't have the provisions to take care of us. Amen? So if you'll do that, God will bless you real good. Amen? So maybe I suddenly felt like preaching in a bit anyway. Is that okay? Can I preach a little bit? Right? Pastor Merle and Mary has come all the way from Granville. And of course, Pastor David Christian and his dear wife is here. Well, they have come all the way to cheer me. Because I told them, I requested them to do that. Because they are my friends, right? So praise the Lord for that. All right? I will share a little thought to you, and uh, if you get tired of me, and uh, I don't know what the clock is saying. I, uh, I can't read anything. Is that zero, zero, zero there? Or time is over? I don't know. No time today? Well, you are in for a treat. 
Hallelujah. Because I get always nervous to look at that thing, and now I can't read anyway, so that's okay. And uh, so, you know, so maybe I might do an Indian-style preaching. All right? So, like in India, when I'm preaching, they, we, our preaching time is normally 90 minutes, an hour and a half. And if you don't preach anything, if you preach anything less than that, they think that you're backslidden. <laughs> so you can't afford to be a backslidden pastor, right? So, and you wouldn't want to know the longest sermon I ever preached. Would you like to know that? You promise me you won't hate me? Right? So that was, I preached in one of the, like, you know, when you have so many churches, they had to book me three, four years before so I can go for a meeting. Right? So that's the only way I can go. So they booked me for, now I'm booked to go for 2020 somewhere and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, so this was a good Friday. So I went to one of the churches. So I am, I did my normal 90 minutes preaching on the crucifixion and the finished work and all that. And I thought I did a good job and I sat down. And they sang. And I'm thinking, you know, like most of the time you sing to finish the meeting, right? So I thought they were singing to close the meeting. And in the middle of the singing, the pastor leaned over me and he said, when the song finishes, you are preaching. I said, no, I finished preaching. No, this is the plan for today. He said, this meeting goes on till 4.30 in the evening. And we are gonna break up for lunch for half an hour. And this will be it. For every 90 minutes, we'll sing a song and give you a break and you'll continue preaching. Okay, so by the time I finished preaching, I preached for five and a half hours. And I told them, don't invite me for another Good Friday meeting. I got nothing more to say. I've done it all. Amen. So I won't do that to you because I have a plan of coming back. So I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to offend Pastor John. So I will stick to my short message, okay? I have iPhone, iPhone, iPad, iPad, or whatever it is. And please have a look at this, this portion, Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. We're going to read about four verses from verse 23. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 to 27. And now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose. You know, the, the, the Bible is full of suddenlies, right? God is a God of suddenlies, right? Many times the suddenlies are for good. Sometimes the devil uses that also and it is bad, right? So, but God moves in into a suddenlies and does great things for us. But these are the bad suddenly in this portion, Okay. And uh, suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, and saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be, that even the winds and the sea obey him? So this is a story 
of Jesus traveling with his disciples. Well, they walked all day, they talked all day, they preached all day, and they prayed all day, and now the time has come. They are going, traveling to the other side. And Jesus got onto the boat. Of course, he was hardworking among all the guys. So he was sleepy, and he went to sleep. And the boat was moving on, the sea was calm, and everything was going good, and this suddenly takes place. And suddenly there was a storm. And the storm was not a small one, it arose, and the waves were rising so high, and the water was dumped into the boat. It's a frightening sight. I remember being in a storm in Sweden. I went to see a gospel ship because we were going to buy a boat to reach hundreds of islands in India, in our area. So I wanted to know how they're doing it. Anyway, I was in that ship, and we were in the middle of a huge lake, like, like your Michigan Lake, or maybe bigger. And suddenly a storm broke up. Well, I've never been in one, you know. So the, the, the boat tilted 45 degrees and the, the waves just rising, slashing on, and we can't see anything. The place became so dark. And, uh, and I got in the middle of all that. But one thing that I, I know that I will not die outside India, because I always made a deal with God. I said to him, if I ever die, I should always die in my country, because I want to bury myself. I want to sow myself literally into the dirt of my country. That's what I tell God. So every time when I get onto the plane, I'll say to the Lord, God, have you got any plan of taking me home? If that, turn the plane around. I'm getting off. <laughs> so I slowly climbed over to the captain's cabin. And I picked up that, that little microphone and I said... Just like Paul was saying, I said, no harm will happen to anybody in this boat today. None of us will die because Abraham is here and I got to go home. <laughs> so anyway, it didn't happen after a couple of hours. Maybe everything you know, stopped. It's almost like nothing happened. And uh, then I took a Bible study on the deck of the ship. So, so it is a frightening thing. So they came, and the Bible says he was still sleeping. And they came, and they said like this, wake up, we are dying, and don't you care for us. The message for you tonight from me is this. I want to talk to you about three mortal fears that we all fight in our life. And how do we get victory over these horrible fears that hold on to every one of our life. Most of us, if not all of us, will go through these two mortal fears. So here, they're coming and saying, we are dying, we are perishing. What are you doing? Help us. And Jesus said to them, why are you fearful? You of little faith. He's talking to the disciples. He's not talking to the unbelievers. 
He is talking to the man who walked with him, who was staying with him, who sleep with him, eat with him, seeing the miracles in his life. And he is sleeping in the same boat for heaven's sake. Amen? And they are saying, we are dying. Jesus is saying, are you? But I am not planning to die. I did not come all the way from heaven to die in a boat. I have got a plan. And I will die only when I'm supposed to die, where I'm supposed to die. And today is not my dying date. Amen? And how dare you are to say that we are dying. You know, what I want to say to you tonight is this, that Jesus is in your boat. Amen? Jesus is in the boat of our life. He is in every situation of your life. He's there. And the waves could not even wake him up. That's the Jesus we are talking about. Amen? The water is coming in and the, and the boat is just, you know, swinging and the, and the roaring of the sea and the noise of the storm. And all these things will not even wake up your Savior. Amen? And you are going to him without any shame. You should have at least thought, man, he's sleeping. Why am I worried about? Look at him. The water is going under his bed and he's still sleeping. The storm is hitting so hard, he's still sleeping. Maybe he, they should turn around and go and sit there and try to, you know, collect themselves up. But they couldn't because the fear gripped them. That's the fear number one is the fear of death. The fear of death comes and holds on people. And no matter who you are, unless what Jesus said was the one that we have, we can beat it. He said like this, why were you fearful? Oh, you of little faith. The problem that we are fighting in our life is because if faith is not there, then fear will take a hold of us. Amen? Because faith and fear always fight each other. You know? The fear will make you to see the worst, but faith will make you to see the best. Amen? If you don't have the faith, then fear will take you to the brim of saying to yourself, your life is over. You're finished. There's no more day. There's no tomorrow for you in your life. But I want you to see the man is sleeping in your boat who is able to take care. You saw his miracles. He saw his powers time and time again. He will curse the sickness. He'll curse the disease. And there people will be set free immediately. And you saw the blind eyes open. You saw the lepers being cleansed. You saw the authority in his words, and it is that same man is sleeping in your own boat, and you're saying, I'm dying. Amen? You're not dying. You'll die if Jesus is not there. If Jesus is there, you're okay. And it's a shame for the disciples to be called you of little faith. <laughs> Don't you think? That's, 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 putting to, to shame. Oh, Peter of little faith. <laughs> Isn't that horrible? Amen. 
he was not cursing the storm because that's the easiest thing for him to do the hardest thing for jesus to do is to to kick your faith up to get it off your fear make you to see that your life is different make you to see that you got a the lord who is with you who can handle every situation of your life you are not like the ordinary people in the world because you jesus is with you jesus is in your boat he is not standing out there he is not asking how are you okay guys no he is in the middle of your problems he is in the middle of your storm he is in the middle of every situation of your life and he is telling you that nothing can happen because i am here amen do you believe that don't look like it but maybe you are so deep inside of your heart he said oh you have and then he turns around and curses the storm and there's calm amen now the guys are saying oh even the wind and the sea obeys him of course he'll obey him amen He is in our boat. That's the message I wanted to take with you tonight. I want you to walk out from here in this church and remember that every moment when you and I face storms, we will face storms. The sea will rise. The water will get into our boat. But you have to tell yourself, but my Jesus is here. My Jesus is in my boat. And he will protect me. He will take care of me. Amen. when faith rises then the fear of death will leave and you will not have that fear in your life amen, amen. joseph was a man who had a vision from god when he was 17 years old and god fulfilled the dream and made him the prime minister of egypt and and he was leading the people and protecting them for so many years from 17 year old to the year when he was 110 years old and the bible says he was at the point of dying and he was in his deathbed and he called all his brothers and all the families to come and stand around him and he stretches himself and he looks at everyone and he says i am dying that's a way to die amen i die and not only that then he prophesies gives them a prophecy at the deathbed to the people and he says a prophecy was that something was going to happen 400 years later and he says the lord will visit you one day and he will bring you out of the land of bondage this land of slavery and he'll take you to the land that he promised to our fathers and he'll take you to that place and by the way when you go he take my bones also with you and he stretches himself and he dies that's the way amen he was able to beat the fear of death because he knew that god was always with him read through the story of joseph and you will read in every chapter you will read in every situation every time of his life you will read like the but the lord was with him amen someone who knows the lord is with them don't need to fear death amen that is just a doorway to walk in from the temporary to the permanent amen to the eternal something far greater far glorious something amazing that will go this cannot do anything to us amen number 
The second one is the fear of scarcity. We go through all of This is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Right? He was preaching. You talk about me being the long-winded preacher? Well, Jesus will be asked to sit down. Right? He preaches too long. Hours and hours. And the Bible says they all sat there and when he finished preaching, they were about to go and he said, no, 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 wait a minute. And he said, I think we should feed them. Jesus said that. And the disciples got so angry with him. He said, how dare you are to say, you got no idea? How can you feed all these people? Do you know how to count? There are about 5,000 men, about women and children, about 18,000 people. And you are standing there and you are saying, feed them. I, we hope that they didn't hear. Don't say that again. Just shut your mouth. Let them go. So Jesus says, feed them. Well, they messed it up. Now they're arguing with him. They say, do you have any idea this is not a city? This is a desolate place, number one. And number two, you know, this is a place. It's dark. It's evening. And uh, by the way, if we can go and buy somewhere, we don't even have the money to buy for all these people. How much money? They've got all the arguments put against God's miracle. Amen? They're trying to tell him it will not work because of the fear of scarcity. We will not have enough. We won't be able to feed everyone. We will be put to shame. We should not do this. Let them go. But Jesus says, no, I want to feed them. Amen? Jesus is overriding the fear of scarcity. And we know the story. The little boy's lunch was snatched away from him. And they brought in the little kid crying, coming after them. And now they gave it to Jesus, three, five loaves of bread and two fishes, all prayed over. And he called the 12 guys to stand. And I don't know how he divided five loaves of bread to 12 guys. <laughs> anyway, he just tore it into small pieces. And these two fishes, you know, about six pieces each into the hands of all these guys and they're all standing there, okay? All these multitudes sitting there waiting to have a good feed. They have not eaten for the whole day, right? So I can imagine Peter standing there and looking at Jesus and say, <laughs> what is he trying to say? You always stay away and you put us in trouble. We have to go and serve them and you stand here and say, go and Say, come on, go and serve them. You know, we always think about how faith works, how hard it is to believe. How can we bring faith into our life, right? I want to show you how easy the faith works. Is. Amen? He comes and comes to the man and he, he as he, like, value, evaluation is done, he might need at least seven loaves of bread and five fishes. Now I'm sitting with, standing with him. And he comes and apologizes, sir. This is all I have. But I don't know what's going to happen. It may not do anything to you, but that guy standing there told me to serve. 
So I'm doing it because I happen to be a disciple. So would you please put a hand out, please? And he takes it and puts it in his hand. And the next moment, there was the same amount of bread and fish in his hand. Amen? And my question is, after that, what happens? Is he hesitating anymore? Is he apologizing to anymore? He's looking at that guy. I'm sorry, I got some more, please. Have it. And some more? Is it enough? Is it enough? Enough? No, no, have a bit more. And he goes on serving because everybody is having this tough. So the hardest step of faith is the first step. After that, it is just a way of life. Amen? After that, it is normal. It is nothing great after that. You're not a faith worker after that because it becomes real. It is normal. You keep on serving. And then Jesus decided to, to put 12 baskets full of leftovers on the head of all the 12 guys to carry it back to the mountaintop to him. Amen? Fear of scarcity is horrible, right? It's, how many of you remember the Y2K? You remember that? You know? This is, I'm not talking about the, the non-Christian. I'm talking about Christians. You know, the guy's going bizarre. You know, this my friend. He took me to show his basement in his house. And there he has got a little supermarket. It's all there in the basement because something is going to crash and nothing is going to be understand in the, in the supermarkets and you're going to be dead without food. So save up everything and then in the corner there sits about two 44 gallon drums of gas so I said to him you know what if you are going to die you're not going to die of starvation you're going to die because that thing will blow up <laughs> and then none of us will be here you'll be just burned to ashes why it is a fear of scarcity. You need only a small rumor, then nothing will be left in Meyer's store. Nothing will be left anywhere because of the fear of not having it will drive you to nuts. But you have to realize there's a God who can do miracles with us. Amen? He's asking, where is your faith? Boy of little faith, and where is your faith? And the third thing, and I'm done, okay? And the third fear is a fear of failure, the fear of defeat. And this is the story of a father coming to Jesus with his epileptic son. And he comes to him and he says the story. He said, I want you to heal my son. So that's okay. Jesus said, I'm ready to do that. But he said, I have got a complaint against your disciples. So what is the complaint? He said, I brought him to them and they could not heal him. Why? Because Jesus sent them and he said like this, I want you to go and I want you to go and heal the sick. Cast out the demons, raise the dead. And he said, freely, freely you have received. And freely, that was the blessing and the anointing that has been given to them to do the job. 
Now the father is saying, I took them to the disciples who are supposed to heal the guy, they didn't. Why? Because the fear of defeat came upon them. And they could not release the faith. Amen? You know what he called them? It's actually bad. You know, he, he, he called them bad. And he said like this, Oh, faithless and perverse generation. That's terrible to call Peter, don't you think? That's horrible to call John and James. He's calling them faithless and perverted people. How long I'll be with you. Bring that boy to me. Amen? The fear of failure grips all over us. I'm talking about, I picked up only three fears which I thought will be suitable for all of us. There's lots of fears. The fear of failure, losing it. Many, many people won't pray for the sick. Why? Because of the fear of your prayer not working. It's a fear of failure because you think, what if, if that person did not get healed? I am a man of power. I am a man of reputation. I'm an anointed servant of God. And if I lay hands on him, and if the guy or girl did not get healed, what if? So what will they do? They'll pray a pretty safe prayer. They'll pray like this, Lord, I pray for my brother. Lord, I pray for my sister, Lord. You touch her, touch him, Lord. And you know his sickness, Father more than I do, and Lord, let your will be done in his life. So you're pretty safe, right? <laughs> if he's not healed, well, I'm sorry, I, that's your God's will. Why do we do that? Because we are frightened of a repetition. We are thinking the fear of failure is upon our life. Amen? And that's not what Jesus, I said, go and heal them. Go and cast out the devil. You know, bring out the power of God into their lives. Why do you worry if somebody did not get healed? What is your problem? You know, why will that become a problem? When you feel so elated and feeling almost like a semi-god when somebody gets healed, then you have a problem when somebody is not healed. I always say like this, we are just like a mailman. So what is our job? Our job is to deliver the mail to the people, right? One day you're bringing a check with a million dollars inside. Well, that would be nice, wouldn't it? So they, they bring it and give it to you and you open the thing and you see the one million dollar check and you, you do, would you tell the mailman, stay back, stay, I want to take you out for a dinner. Would you do that? No, why? Because he didn't give it to you, he brought it. He, the sender, sent it to you and he gave it to you, so you took it. And you're not even appreciative of what he has done because he's a mailman. Because the next day he's going to bring you an IRS notice. So what are you going to do? You're going to kill him? No. Because he didn't bring it. So I am telling everybody, we are the mailman. We are the messengers. We don't need to worry about what happens because we do what we are asked to do. And we will do it. And we believe the one who has sent us to do the job. 
And if he's choosing not to get here, well, that's your problem. Why didn't you do it? I'm going. Amen? That's where we need to have the faith in our hearts. That's the kind of life that will bring miracles and healing and deliverance. Why miracles are not happening today? Why? Because we are pulling back. We've got the fear of failure. We don't want to be, to, to be losers. So we want to play safe. No. His time has come. We are in the last days. We need to bring God's miracle and God's glory into the life of people. And he says, go and do it. And he said, I'm with you. Amen? You're not going to do it on your own. But I'm going to do it with you. Amen? Imagine you are an athlete and you are running your 400 meters race. And you're standing on the track. And you look, next is the guy who always wins, who has set a record, who is much better runner than you are, and he's standing next to you, ready to run. And you are looking at him, and you are telling yourself, okay, he's going to win anyway. So I'm going to run. Well, why would you run? Get out of the track. If the other guy is going to win, what is the point of you trying to run? I would say you should stand there and say to yourself and say to the guy, well, you may be the winner, but not today because I am running. Amen? You may hold a record, but I'm going to break the record today because I am going to win. And I will win and I will run and I will hit that, the finishing line before you could ever get closer to it. That should be the attitude of you and me because we have been called not to be a loser, but to be a winner. Amen? And all these three fears can be beaten with one medicine that is faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? We have been called to be a believer. We are to believe the great things that God has done in our life. We have experienced, we have seen, why do we doubt anymore? Why are we fearful in our life anymore? Because Jesus Christ is always there with us in our life, in your boat, in your life, in your fight, in the middle of your problems. He's saying, fear not. 365 times it is written in the Bible. Fear not, fear not, fear not. Because God knows we are a bunch of whims. <laughs> no matter how many times he tells us, the next day we start to get fearful again, right? No matter how many, so he decided to speak to you when you wake up from your bed. Already you had your nightmare, and you're getting up and sweating all over. You're a great man of faith, but you're shaking and shivering in your bed. So God chose to look at you and say, well, we are about to start our day, but before that, let me say this, fear not. Amen? Every day of your life, the word of the Lord is coming to you and saying, you don't need to be frightened because I'm with you. Amen? Well, I think I finished my preaching. Would you please stand up? We'll pray. The fear of death, O ye of little faith. The fear of scarcity, where is your faith? The fear of failure, Oh, faithless and perverse generation.
But we don't want to hear any of that, do we? No. We are going to say to the Lord, God, we are going to get victory over every fear. Because we realize so easy, because all we need to do is to believe in you, Lord. To have faith in you and things will work. Lord, we can break the fear of death. We can have a breakthrough from the fear of scarcity or failure because we are going to trust in you. We are going to believe in you and you are going to set us free. Do you agree with me? Would you like to do that tonight? Would you like to say, I'm sick and tired of this fear. I'm living with it. Amen. You look so brave, but you're still living with fear. Amen. But we're going to beat it tonight. Would you like to join me? Would you like to say, Lord, I'm going to beat the fear of death in my life. I'm going to get victory over this fear of scarcity. And I am saying to myself, I will not be a loser, but I'll be a winner. I will never be defeated. I will not accept failure. I will not let the fear to grip over me because thou art with me. And I will fear no evil. Would you like to pray that prayer with me? If you do, lift up your hands towards heaven. And let us tell the Lord God, tonight is the end of my fear. I'm putting an end to my fear. I declare faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that you are in my boat. I believe that you are capable of of cursing the storm. You are capable of dealing with my problems. You are capable of taking care of my sickness and disease. You are capable, you are capable, you are capable of dealing and setting me free. And I believe in you tonight, Lord. Is that what you're praying? Pray in your heart and tell him, Lord, I'm going to be free. I don't want to be bound by fear, but I'm going to be set free because you are with me, Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here tonight, Lord. Thank you for your hand upon each and every one of us. Lord, you are a wonderful Jesus. You are a mighty God. Lord, you are there, the miracle-working God is with us. The God who is faithful, the God who is able is with us, Lord, and you are right there in our boat. And we forgot that, Lord. We forget that most of the time. We are sorry and we repent. But tonight we come to you and say, Lord, we will beat it in your name. Lord, we will live as men and women of faith. Lord, with freedom in our hearts, Lord. Not full of fear, but full of faith, glorifying your name. We praise you and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. God.